Amen. Well, good morning, church. My name is Brandon. I'm one of the pastors here. Hey, my, uh, my wife, Melanie, and I have, have four kids. We, we like all, all four of them. Uh, it's not a given, you know. Uh, I, have, I have found, I, I love being a dad, man. I just love it. I have found that about 95% of being a parent is walking around shutting off light switches that I wasn't, I wasn't the one that turned them on. And uh, the, the temptation, I don't know if you're like this or not, parents, but at least for me, is to launch into a very thorough and very passionate tirade about where electricity comes from, how much electricity actually costs, and how much I, as a dad, have to work to pay for said electricity, and then I usually wrap her up with uh, some, some, something to the effect of, you know, and one day, when you're living in your own place, you're paying your own electric bills, you can feel more than happy, free, just leave all the superfluous lights on you wish, your little heart's content. That's the temptation, at, at least for me, is to explain all that. Uh, the truth is, the kids usually don't actually need an in-depth explanation, right? They know. They've heard it before. What they just need occasionally is just a gentle, grace-filled reminder. And they'll say, oh, yeah, no, you're right. Yeah, I need to remember to shut the lights off. Because what really matters when it comes to my children and the light switches, what really matters is not that they can have a thorough working knowledge of, of the electric company or, you know, the basic economics of, of energy consumption and so on. What really matters with my children and the light switches is that they just actually shut them off. It's simply that they do it. And I feel like with God's children, it's kind of similar. When it comes to prayer, we don't usually need the big, thorough, comprehensive study. Sometimes that's good. But more often than not, we just need that gentle, grace-filled reminder to be people of prayer. Because when it comes down to prayer, what really matters? Think about this. What actually matters when it comes to prayer? I mean, we could talk about prayer all we want. We can, we can read books about prayer. We can go to conferences on prayer. We can listen to podcasts about prayer. We can have conversations about prayer. And we can even sing about praying. But what really matters is that we actually just do it. That we actually simply just pray. And uh, why is this important? Why is this a big deal? Why is prayer such a big deal in the life of a Christian? It's because this, if prayer is not a part of your life, you will miss out on what God's doing. If prayer's not a part of what you're doing, it's gonna be difficult to be a part of what God's doing. Okay? We gotta pray. If you don't pray, you, you will miss out on at least some of what God has for you in life. And so, uh, I offer today a gentle, grace-filled reminder. Let's be people of prayer. That's it. Because if we are in Christ, as a, as a follower of Jesus Christ, here's the truth. The veil between heaven and earth is thinner than a Kleenex. 
But we have a tendency to drift away from God day to day. Life's tough, it's long, it's hard, it goes by, we get complacent, we're forgetful people, so on and so forth. We have a tendency to drift away from God and kind of descend into a state of existence that it's like God is just a million miles away, just heaven is just millions of miles away, when the truth is in Christ, God is so near. So to be a person of prayer is to acknowledge the nearness of God. It's to live with our feet on earth and our heads in heaven. And today I wanna, I wanna go through a passage. I want us to look at a passage and walk through a passage that calls us essentially to live as people who have their feet on earth and their heads in heaven. A passage that simply reminds us that as children of God, heaven is closer than we'll ever even know. All right, James chapter five, verses 13 through 18. James writes, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. If he has committed sins, You'll be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain and earth bore its fruit. Pray with me. Lord, as we listen to James's words that he penned so many years ago, I ask that by your grace and by the power of the Holy Spirit, you would do a work in our hearts in such a way that everyone in this room would be transformed into lifelong prayer people. Only you can do that, and so I pray that you would do that in us, that we would be praying individuals that come together and make up a praying church to your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. The prayer, it's just, it's kind of, it's, it's one of those things we just do. It's as simple as that. Uh, it's an obedience thing. It's a, it's a listening to God thing. It's a way of life thing. It's one of those things that's just impossible to even imagine a follower of Christ who, who doesn't pray. Like a Christian without prayer. It's like a, a car without gas. It's like a fish with no water going through its gills. It's, it's lungs with no air in them. It's just something. It's something we just, we just do. It was a normal part of Jesus' life, and he expected it to be a normal part of his followers' lives. Three times in a row in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says, when you pray. Not if you pray. Not if you feel like praying or if you ever get around to it. He just says, when you pray. He expects that this is going to be part of our day-to-day. -day. It's just something we do. And, and looking at this par paragraph that I just read out of James, I want us to see four 
specific points that James makes about prayer. I am not going to be able to thoroughly uh, explain and discuss every single detail in that paragraph or every single question that might uh, be uh, raised in reading of that paragraph and so on and so forth. Just today, I want to draw our attention to these four points. This is something we do all, t- all the time, at all times, okay? The second thing, this is something we do together. The third thing, this is something we do with transparency. And the fourth thing, this is something we do out of trust in God. Okay, the first one, this is something we do at all times. See what he says in verse 13? Is anyone suffering? Want to pray? Are you cheerful? Sing praises? Are you sick? Call the elders. Have them pray too. Right? You hear, you, you hear James's logic in the highs and the lows, in the good times and the bad. Are you, whether you're encouraged or discouraged, you pray. And are you suffering? Are you weak? Is life beating you down? Is evil beating you down? Is whatever you're facing getting the better of you? Are you getting to the point where you're like, I cannot do this anymore? What does James say? He says, pray. Just talk to God about it. Don't, don't miss that. Just talk to God about it. Then he says, is any of you cheerful? Anyone in this room, is life going well? Are you thriving? Are you encouraged? Is there joy there? What do you do? He says, sing praise. Talk to God about it in song. You hear that word, praise, it's just to pray with a melody. He says, is any of you sick? Is that, are you weakened and fatigued by that suffering that I mentioned earlier? Has that got you to the point where you have serious illness or you're seriously weak? What do you do? He says you call the elders. Ask them to join you in, in that prayer. Have them pray over you. This is something we do at all times. Number two, James says it's something we do together. Right? According to James, listen to this. God doesn't want us to face the hard stuff of life alone. It says, verse 14, if you're sick, what do you do? You call the elders. You have them pray over you. You, you, you ask them to join you in that prayer. Listen, what is an elder? They're not magic. They don't have some special line to God. This isn't a superstitious thing. Well, the elders are just men of God, men of character. They are to be men full of faith. They are men who love God with all their heart. And they simply represent the church community. They are the pillars of the church community. And so to call the elders, in a sense, is to invite the church into your suffering and to join you in prayer. Is something we do together. And not just with the elders. See what James says in verse 16? With everyone. Everyone that would be hearing this letter he wrote. Everyone who reads this. That's Hortonville in, uh, what is it, May 2021. It's us. He says, verse 16, pray for one another. Pray for one another. We are commanded to not do the hard stuff of this life alone. 
hear that command. To be a people of prayer, in a sense, is to have your feet on earth, your head in heaven, and your arms linked with your brothers and sisters in Christ. We are not meant to do this thing alone. So it's something we do at all times. It's something we do together. Number three, James says, it's something we do with transparency. Notice he says in verse 15, if he has committed sins, they will be forgiven. What on earth has that got to do with anything? Verse 16, he says, confess your sins to one another that you may be healed. Pray for each other. Confess your sins to each other. There's a transparency here. There's a vulnerability here in the body of Christ that terrifies most of us. And it kind of should. But what on earth, what role does this have to play with anything? I tell you, all different sorts of Christians at all different times throughout history have gotten this one wrong. What has sin got to do with suffering? Here's the deal. Sin breaks the relationship and prayer is one of the primary expressions and experiences of that relationship, including prayer for healing. So then, if sin breaks that relationship, confession is a part of prayer. It's as simple as that. It's just like, just, just like the way... Um, communication in a marriage. Can you imagine a marriage where the two just never talk? That sounds miserable. That is not a healthy marriage. In the same way, a healthy relationship with God, because in Christ we've been adopted into God's family and we've entered into a father-child relationship with God, a healthy relationship. You talk about stuff, but sin breaks that. And so there, there is a universal relationship between sin and, and, and sickness, suffering, disease, and death. There's a universal relationship. Why? Because when sin entered the world, it held the door open for sickness, suffering, disease, death, pain. Was not part of the pre-fall creation. And it will not be part of of the new creation, heaven, eternity. None of that exists. When sin, held, when sin held the door open, all this stuff came in. So there is a universal relationship. But what about a personal level? Is sin the cause of personal sickness? The answer, sometimes, but not always. At a personal level, sin is not always the cause of sickness, but it is sometimes. Not always, but sometimes. The cause and effect relationship there between sin and, and, and serious illness in the first century was seriously overrealized. In the 21st century, by and large, it's seriously underrealized. You remember when the disciples saw the man who was born blind and they asked Jesus, Rabbi, who sinned? Was it him or was it his parents? Someone's got to be at fault here. Someone's got to be to blame. There's, some, there's sin in the mix somewhere. And Jesus corrects them. He says, in this case, it's got nothing to do with sin. This case, it has to do with God being glorified. He corrects them. In the same way, we over here, we wouldn't even think 
that sin would be a factor in that case. We wouldn't even think to ask that question. And I believe Jesus would correct us and bring us into a biblically accurate middle that has a proper understanding of the role of sin, sickness, suffering, all of it. Right? This is obvious for inner healing. The relationship between sin and suffering, sin and sickness and stuff like this is obvious for healing on the inside. Soul wounds, stuff like this, it's obvious. We're all as as sick as the secrets we keep. All of us are as sick as the secrets we keep when it comes to like inner healing. And, and, And so James says, verse 16, man, pray for each other, confess your sins to one another. There's healing in that. You'll find healing. It makes sense for us for inner healing. But what about physical healing? What about outer healing? Sometimes it's true, but not always. So what do you do with that? Because just because someone dies doesn't mean God was punishing them for a particular sin. And just because someone has some illness or some calamity has befallen them, we don't need to interpret that theologically every single time and try to assign some sin in their life. Well, there it is. You jaywalked uh, last March, that, and, and probably it's that reason why your life's not going so good. It's just not how it works. But on the other hand, Christians, man, we're just called to live lives of repentance, all of us. In sickness and in health, we are, the Christian life is a life of repentance. So do you have any major sin that you're trying to hide from God? Do you have any minor sin that you're trying to hide from God? Bring it into the light. Just, just, just bring that stuff out of the dark. Don't try to keep a pet sin secret from God. He sees everything. It's just, it's, it's, it's vain. You'll find healing. Confess that stuff. Bring that stuff before God. Don't mess around with that. But also, James says, confess your sins to one another. This is terrifying. I'm going to be honest here. This is terrifying. I'm not super excited about the notion of reading you guys my rap sheet right now. I don't know how long I'd be your pastor if I started listing off all the stupid stuff I did in my early adult life. I don't know how long I'd be your pastor if you found out half the stuff that's gone through my mind in the last five years. Okay? This is terrifying. And it should be. Why? Because people betray people. People aren't always worthy of trust. People aren't always good stewards of the, 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 the sacred uh, uh, information that's been entrusted to them by a brother or sister in Christ. So when I say confess, it's not just to anybody. But if you've got something hiding, there's healing in bringing it out into the light. But it's not just, you can't just do that with anybody. Because this is a very, very sacred trust. You can't do it with just anybody, but you can't do it alone. And James says, man, there's, there's, just, there's healing in the mutual prayer and confession. So when you come back forward a- after the service and the, and the elders meet with you and they, and they, and they uh, say, hey, what's going on? What do you want prayer about? And I, I don't know what you're going to say. I don't know. My knee's bothering me or something. Uh, they might say, do you have any sin to confess? You got any un- unconfessed sin? And that's just part of the, it's part of the equation. It's part of, it just factors in. And James says there's healing in this. So this is something that we do at all times. This is something we do together. This is something we do with transparency. But the fourth part, this is what I really want you to hear. This is something we do out of trust in God. 
Okay? This is, just, this is something we do out of trust in God. Notice that James says, it's the, he calls it the prayer of faith. What is faith? It's trusting God. It's the prayer of faith. Notice that he, he says that the elders praying over you and anointing you in oil is to be done in the name of the Lord. Does that make sense? What does that mean? To do something in Jesus' name. It's in accordance with his will, in accordance with his authority, according to his ability, not ours. So he, he, and notice James also says it's the Lord who will raise him up. When we go to God and we bring up the hard stuff we're facing and the hard stuff we're faced with, we don't go on the basis of anything that's good within us. It's, God doesn't answer prayer based on our ability to, to stir up within us a certain emotion. God doesn't answer prayer based on our ability to say just the right combination of words at just the right time. God doesn't, God doesn't answer prayer based on our ability even to live a pious enough life. Right? None of that stuff is the basis upon which God answers prayer. Why? It's because it's God that does the heavy lifting. It's God who does the heavy lifting. Notice that James will point to Elijah as the example. Who is Elijah? He says, Elijah was a man with a nature just like ours. And he doesn't say Elijah was this super holy person. He doesn't say that Elijah had reached some unattainable like level of godliness. He's, uh, he's, a, he's a man just like, he's a human with the nature just like ours. And go back and read the story. First Kings chapters, uh, was it 16, 17, 18, right through there. Read Elijah's story. This, this guy was... Uh, I mean, he was just a, a salt of the earth, human, flaws and all, depression, doubt, fear, riddled this guy's life, questioned God. I mean, he wasn't this super, some sort of super Christian or something like this. He was just a human like us. And I'll tell you, if, if, just to make sure you know, I'm not talking about any sort of prosperity stuff. This isn't faith healing, none of that garbage. This is just good old-fashioned trusting God. Elijah was no stranger to, to suffering, and I mean extreme suffering. He had an evil king and an evil queen chasing after him, trying to kill him. People were being put to death if they didn't find him. He, was, he, he went hungry and had to rely on God to drop meat out of the sky from ravens. He was drinking from a brook. That brook dried up. I mean, he was staying with a widow who every single day God would provide just enough food to get him by, just enough, just enough to stay alive. And then the, the widow's son died. And this is, this is hard stuff that Elijah faced. He's a human, just like us, guys. He dealt with disease. He dealt with sickness. He dealt with death. He dealt with doubt. He dealt with discouragement. He dealt with depression. Just a human, just like us. What did he do? It says that he prayed fervently. 
and he saw God go to work. That's it. He prayed fervently, and he saw God go to work. Worship team, would you come join me? How do we live this one out? How do we bring this thing from Bible times into uh, spring afternoon uh, in northeast Wisconsin? Well, this this one's an easy application. This is simple. How do we do this? We just pray. We be people of prayer. You notice that James, he just seems to kind of weave back and forth between what is true of our lives in the here and now and what is true of our futures in heaven. And he goes back and forth. You guys, listen, the veil between heaven and earth for the follower of Jesus Christ, if you are in Christ, the veil between heaven and earth is thinner than a Kleenex. I mean, God is so near. And so he calls us, as long as we got our feet on earth, we keep our heads in heaven. You facing hard stuff? And I can't even count how many people, right off the top of my head, just knowing so many of you guys, I know we're facing hard stuff. Are you to the point where you're just like, I just can't think and do this anymore. I just cannot keep going. Pray. James says pray. Just talk to God about it. It's something we do. And you might say, well, what if God doesn't answer my prayer? You know what? What if God does? You might say, well, there was a time when it doesn't seem like he answered my prayer back then. My question, is he still good? Is he still on his throne? Is what we have in him in heaven in future, has any of that changed? To be a people of prayer is just to live with our heads in heaven. Are you sick? You have serious illness? Facing hard stuff physically or otherwise? Call the elders. Have them pray with you. Be the type of person that prays with other people. The biggest, most common lie Christians tell is, I'll be praying for you. What a bunch of nonsense. I got about six people in my life that I believe when they say that. Let's not be those people. Let's actually pray. So this morning, church, would you stand with me? Here's my challenge. Two parts. One, this morning. If you've got an issue, physical or otherwise, to pray about, after we sing this song and reflect on the faithfulness of God, uh, if you feel so drawn, uh, come up and have an elder pray with you. This is not counseling. They will not try to fix you. They will simply hear what you got going on, what you're being faced with, and then they'll take it to the Lord in prayer. Simple as that. Second part of my challenge here this week, I want you to think of one pain, one praise, and one person and pray about those three things every single day this week. Okay? One pain. Is anyone suffering? Let them pray. Is anyone, one praise. Is anyone cheerful? Let them sing praises. And then think of one person in your life and just commit to praying for them. Just see what happens. Just give it a shot. Just see what happens. And then the final part of that challenge one time this week, get alone with one other person, meet up with them for the purpose of hearing what they got going on in their lives, not trying to fix each other, just praying for each other. See what God does here. This might feel super awkward for some of you. Some of you, you might go, man, this is my love language. I live in that. No problem. The rest of you might go, oh, I don't know. It sounds terrifying. Just give it a shot. All right? Let's praise God.
and be people of prayer.